0: Good morning. My uh, little guy, he's three, when you ask him what he wants to be when he grows up, he said he wants to be an archaeologist. <laughs> he's three. He wants to work with dinosaurs. So I'm like, okay, man, you want to dig in the dirt? I get it. Right where you're at, that sounds like a fun job. It might not sound as fun when you get older, but that's his plan. That's his mission in life. And that's what I want to talk about with you all this morning is what, what is your mission in life? You've got a plan. It doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing. You've all got a list. It might just be mental in your head. You don't think a whole lot about it. Maybe you've got it written down or or on your phone. It doesn't matter. You've all got plans. You've got goals that you're shooting for. If you're still in school, you're probably thinking about what's next, right? If I'm going to go to college or if I'm going to get my master's or my doctorate or however many degrees you can pile on top of one another. Or maybe you're thinking about going back to school because you want to change your career. So you're planning you're, you're thinking about that. Maybe in your career, as you think about what you're doing, you were young and naive and a little idealistic at one time, and you wanted to make a difference, which is respectable. I commend that. That's a, it's a great thing. As Christians, we should all want to make a difference. And maybe you feel like at your, at your job that all that you really do is make a product or offer a service, you're not making a difference. And so you might be looking for a career change, or maybe you want more money, or higher reputation, whatever, because of what what you do. I'm not sure, but you have a plan. You have goals, you have a mission. With your career, with your schooling, you probably also have plans in regards to where you're living, right? If you're still living with your parents, you're probably trying to figure out how you can get out of the house. Right? Maybe shopping for an apartment. Maybe you're in an apartment. You're thinking about buying a house someday. If you have a house, maybe you're regretting buying a house and wishing that you were still had an apartment. I don't know. But you, you probably have a plan for your living situation. You have some goals and a, and a mission and, and a way that you're going to renovate or redo or buy or sell. You're thinking about all of that stuff. So you've got your house and your career, and then you've got family stuff as well. Right, right? You're planning a family. Maybe some of you are single. You're dreaming of finding a spouse. So you're on FarmersOnly.com or Christian Mingle. <laughs> That's a real thing. I know a guy who found a wife on FarmersOnly.com. Farmers True story. They're happily married and been for, for, I think, eight or ten years now. So some of you are out doing the whole dating thing, and you're, you're pumped about that? The three-year-old that wants to be an archaeologist, he saw my wife's wedding ring uh, this week on Thursday. And he said, Mom, I want, when I get big, can I have a ring? And she said, well, well, yeah. If you get big and you find a girl that you love and you want to spend the rest of your life with, then you can have a ring and, and then you will give her a ring. And he said, uh, I just want a ring. <laughs> I don't want that, Mom. I just want to be grand. I just want to be Graham. So he's content to be a bachelor to the rapture. That's great. <laughs> All for you, man. He's got a plan, right? Some of you are content being single. Singleness is a gift. Having a, a spouse is a gift and being single is a gift. There's a lot of things the Bible talks about that says if you're single, it's a, it's a good thing. It's not commanded that you get married. It's not, you're not less than in any way. So maybe you're planning about getting out of your singleness or maybe you're saying, man, I'm content with where I'm at. It's nice. I like what I'm doing. So you're planning. You're planning. You're making plans. Maybe some of you found a spouse, and now you're, you're trying to plan a family. You're trying to have kids, and you're struggling. And so in your struggle, you're probably planning. Is adoption an option? Are there other ways? Do we need to pray harder? Try different things. You're planning, making plans. If you have children, a couple, you're planning your parenting strategy, right? My kid wants to be an archaeologist. That's probably not a great career path, bud. I don't know if that's going to work. So I'm planning my kids, like steering, directing, and also allowing the Spirit to work. We have all of these ideas. And so we're working all of this out together. And it doesn't matter where you're at. Some of you, in all of your planning, your goal setting, your mission, you're not where you thought you would be in all of your plans. So you're a little disappointed. And there are others of you, as you look at your life, you're like, man... This has gone far better than I had planned. This, is, this has worked out. The Lord's been faithful. In a lot of ways, I couldn't even planned it this way. I don't know what your plans are. I don't know what your goals are, but you have them. You're dreaming and scheming for what's next in your life. Now, in all of that, let me ask you this. Where does God fit into your plans? Where does his church fit into all of your plans? I'm not asking this to shame anyone. I'm not. I'm not. That's not my point. I get it. And life happens. It does. It's crazy. It's busy with all of the running around and, and the pressures of life. It, it has a way of shrinking our focus and our scope down to just the immediate pressures and stressors of our lives, right? Just making ends meet is kind of all we have time for thinking about between shuttling kids around from one activity to another and making dishes and grocery shopping and doing all of what we got to do at work. Living life here on this earth is really hard and sometimes it's so all-consuming that we really begin to lose sight of eternity. We just live for today. And the worries of this world can distract us and really keep us from living out the greater plan that God has for us the greater plan that God has for us his mission this is what it is if you were to boil it down it's to seize every opportunity to serve Jesus and his church and talk about him with others that's what God is calling us to seize every opportunity to serve Jesus and talk about Jesus as those opportunities arise and that that mission that plan that God has for you and me it comes with a promise Here's the promise. If you make your life's plan and goal to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness above all else, then all those worries in your life that we just finished talking about, God says, I'll take care of all of it. You don't have to worry. I'll take care of all of it. If you have faith and make it your life's mission for others to to know and receive the same faith that you have in Christ then you can rest in God's divine favor, right? Because you're living out his will. And God says, if you're in my will, then I want to bless you because your plans are my plans and my plans get done. Nothing can stand in the way of my plans. And this is the word of Christ to the church at Philadelphia, which is we're going to read about in a second here. They're a struggling church. They're kind of a small and insignificant church. They feel weak. They feel down. They don't hold the power of their culture, right? We all long to be powerful, and, 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 and Christians just don't. We don't hold the strings of power that control and manipulate everything. We just don't. We never have. People have tried. It doesn't work. This church is it's just like every other church. They're not that powerful in the grand scheme of things in the culture of this world. And there's a ton of enemies that are coming against them. They've got the spiritual forces of darkness, <laughs> which is kind of a big deal. So they got all that. And then they've got wicked people, false teachers that are telling lies and warping and manipulating the gospel and making it sound gross and disgusting or just super weird and far out. And then they've got false believers. People who claim to love Jesus, but then you look at their life and it's like, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want any part of it. So they got that going on. And then they've got churches that are false, that are claiming to love Jesus and serve Jesus. And they're just leaving a terrible representation because they're not true churches, right? Jesus actually calls them uh, synagogues of Satan. It's the new denomination. Probably not one I want to be a part of, right? So, they've got false teachers, spiritual forces of darkness, enemies, false believers, false churches, all fighting against them. This is all happening against the people of Philadelphia. There's a lot to be concerned about, a lot to be worried about, for sure, from a worldly point of view. But Jesus says, He shows up and He says, Hey, keep on, hold fast, keep loving me, keep pursuing my mission. I love you. I see what you're doing. If you stay true to me, if you don't turn away, then I'll turn all of your enemies into friends or at least bring them to a knowledge that you're, you guys are, are legit, okay? I'll give you power. Even when it feels like you don't have any power, I will make you a powerful force for good in the world. I'll reward you. I'll reward you, and I will honor you before men, angels, and my Father who is in heaven. So the Philadelphia church, it's not a group of Christians. It's not a group of Christians that just settled for the American dream. They wanted more for all of their faults. And we know they have them. They're not rebuked in this passage. So we might think, well, they're perfect. We know they're not perfect. You say, how do you know that pastor? Well, because people are involved, right? So this church is composed of people, which means that it's not a perfect church because there aren't any perfect people. But Jesus overlooks all of it. He doesn't rebuke them. He only has encouragement for them. He says, I love you. I know that even though you guys could turn away from me, there's a ton of pressure. There's a ton of pressure for you to deny me. You don't. You love me and you keep talking about me. And because of that, my favor rests on you. And he speaks only encouragement to them. He promises to keep them, to protect them from the trials of this world. Let's look at it together. Revelations 3. You can flip there and the black Bibles will be on the screen as well. You can swipe there on your phone if you're real techie. Revelations 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one will opens. Okay, let's break there. Jesus says to this church, he says, I'm in control. I hold the key of David. So when you hear David, you, your mind should go back to the Old Testament, to King David. He's a great king, a powerful king. Jesus is saying, I'm a new and better king. In the line of David, David was good. I'm better. I'm better. I hold the keys to my kingdom. That means that I'm, I'm in control. I let people in, and I shut people out. I'm in control. I'm not meek and mild little baby Jesus in a manger anymore. I'm ruling and reigning Jesus, king of the world, king of kings, lord of lords. That's who I am. I ascended to heaven. I sit at the throne, the right hand of God. Hey, Philadelphia, it's king Jesus. It's king Jesus. See, now, all the other letters that we've read so far Jesus introduces himself, he points back to the vision from Revelation 1. He says, hey, it's me, the one who holds the stars of heaven. Or, hey, it's me. You know, if you you read that, he points back to that vision. He doesn't do that here. He actually goes back to the prophecy of Isaiah. If you read in Isaiah 22, he goes back to this prophecy and he reminds them, that of this picture of of King Jesus. You say, well, why does he do that? Well, because this church needed this particular vision of who Christ is. They are weak and worn down, feeling discouraged, and they needed to be reminded that although their church has only a little power, has only a little power, that Jesus holds all the power. Although it looks like the mission of their church might fail, Jesus reminds them he is the one who opens and closes the doors of opportunity for the mission of Christ. Hey, Philadelphia, it's me, King Jesus, the one who gives opportunities for you to serve me and talk about me. It's me, Jesus. I create missional opportunities for my church. I know you don't have much power, but you know me. You know me, and I love you, and I kick doors down. Ain't nothing stands in my way. I kick it down. It's closed. I kick it open, and nobody can close it. I hold it open. I hold it open. I make a way when there isn't a way. Hey, Philly, chin up. It's me. It's King Jesus. I see you. I love you. He continues, verse 8. I know your works. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Jesus says firstly, he says, I see you. I see you. I see what you're doing. I see how you take advantage of the missional opportunities that I set before you. I see you serving my church. I see you in the back holding babies, teaching preschoolers, wrangling the little rugrats. I see you doing that stuff. I see you missing out on the worship to, to hold babies. I see you bringing food into the cafe so that people might have fellowship around food and be encouraged and have relationships. I see you singing on stage and practicing every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning. I see you putting the time in. I see you installing all the sound equipment and trenching out in my parking lot and painting. I see you baking meals for new moms and the sick people of the church and people outside of the church. I see your service. I see your love in action, Philly. I see what you're doing. And also, I see the way you keep my word. You don't deny my name. I see the way that you make an effort to talk about me with others even when it would be easier for you to just stay quiet. You can't help yourself. You just, you talk about me all the time. You seize every opportunity at the water cooler, in the break room, at home, when you're having a meal with your family, with your friends, when you're out at the bar or the Eagles or The restaurant. You're talking about me. You're at the ball game, sitting next to other family members, other friends in the stands, watching your kids. You talk about me. You talk about me. You can't help yourself. You're you're sharing stories about the way that I changed your life and the way I minister to you, even when it's not popular, even when it's kind of awkward. You go out of your way when it's not politically correct. You're telling people about me. It might just be easier for you to stay quiet in these moments, but you don't. You're talking about me. Jesus says, I see all of that. I see all of it. And I love it. I love what you're doing. How encouraging is this? I want you to be encouraged. You should be encouraged by this. How many of you wake up and you feel like, I don't even know if this matters. This job I'm working, this thing I'm doing, I I don't even know if this matters. Jesus says, it does. It does. It does matter. It doesn't matter how insignificant you feel in your workplace, in your family, in whatever. Jesus says, I have you there for a purpose, and it matters. There is a missional purpose for you wherever you are. Jesus says, it matters. Bloom where you're planted. I've got you where you are for a purpose. Seize those opportunities. I see you. I love you. I don't know if anybody even cares. Jesus says, I do. I care immensely. I love you. I see you. That's not all Jesus sees. He continues, verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I love you, that I love you. Philly, I see your service. I see you running through the open doors of opportunity that I lay before you. You're serving the church. You're loving the lost. You're talking about me always. I see it. I see what you're up against also. I see the false teachers who spread lies about me. I see the fake believers who claim to love me and follow me, but they're actually serving Satan. I see that too. I see all of it. And I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to make your enemies eat crow, Jesus says. Your enemies, the ones who are arrogantly persecuting you, fighting against you, making it hard for you to live your life. Jesus says, I will make them come before you, and they will humble themselves before you. Now, there are two ways that you can read this. You could say Jesus is going to bust some kneecaps (laughs) and make people bow down before you, which is kind of intense, right? which is possible, or the other way you could read it is that Jesus says these enemies that are against you that are part of the synagogue of Satan, they're about to have membership change, right? They're about to change denominations. They're in the service of the enemy and they don't know it. I'm going to bring them before you. I'm going to open their eyes. I'm going to give them faith. And the people that are currently fighting against you are going to be worshiping with you in your church here shortly. I think both are in view, I think Jesus will humble our enemies before us and I think many of our enemies right now who are fighting against the church are going to be brought into the church through faith in Jesus because he's that good. He says, I know you're fighting against me. I know you're a rebel, but I love you and I died for you too. Get in here. Get in here. Man, that's good. Lastly, Jesus says, verse 10, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you From the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon, he says. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down. From my God out of heaven, and I'll write on him my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, to summarize here a little bit, Jesus says, I'm the King. I give opportunities for you to live on mission. I give opportunities for you to serve me and my local church. I open doors for you to talk about me with others and share your story of me. I open doors of mission for you. Philly, I see you running through those doors. You've made it your life's mission to stay committed to me and my people, my local church. You serve me. You serve my church. You talk about me. Even when it costs you greatly, it's not popular. It's not politically correct. You seize those opportunities. Your faith is working. I see you. I see your faith. I love you. And because you're seeking my kingdom above all else, I'm going to add all of these things unto you. Because of your commitment and love, let me encourage you. I see you. I love you. I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward your work. That part about the crown that we read. Hold fast that so you might not lose the crown. When the Bible speaks of crowns, that's a way of, of talking about rewards. We don't know what those rewards are, but it goes beyond salvation. Right, God is going to reward us for our work. Not the work we do in and of ourselves, but the work that we are empowered to do by depending on Jesus, faith in Jesus, empowered by his Holy Spirit. When your faith works, Jesus says, when you get to heaven, I'm going to reward that. I'm going to reward that a certain way. I don't know what that means exactly, but there's a reward coming. So he says, as you work, let me encourage you. I see it, I love it, and I'm going to reward you for it. Secondly, he says, I'm going to protect you. And that's the whole humbling of our enemies that he's talking about. I see who's fighting against you. I get it. Listen, be encouraged. I'm going to humble them. I'll protect you. They're not going to have, your, have their way with you. I will protect you, and I will humble them. And I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor you before men, before angels, and before my father, that's the whole part where he talks about being a pillar in the temple, sealed with God's name, given citizenship, having the name of Jerusalem written on you and having Christ's new name written on you. So kind of to put a bow on all of this, you say, well, what's the, what's the big idea of this little letter? It's Matthew six thirty three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So let's go back to the intro a little bit here your planning, your scheming, your mission, what's on your list? What are you planning for your life? Loved ones, if serving Christ and his church, talking about others, talking with others about Jesus, no matter what the cost, if that doesn't come at the top of your list, then you might be forfeiting God's favor and God's blessing. You see, if you're living your own will and it's outside of God's will, God's not going to bless that. It's not because he doesn't want to bless you, it's because he can't. Because God has a will. God has a mission for you, a purpose for you. And he says, if you're living outside of that, it's not that I don't want to bless you, it's that I can't. I'm not going to bless you if you're not living in my will, if you're not living out my mission come under my umbrella of protection. Line up your plans with my plans. Go read 1 Thessalonians 5. Write that down. You say, what's the will of God? That outlines it in a chapter. If you make the things in 1, Thess- 1 Thessalonians 5, it's a mouthful. If you make those things your mission in life, God will bless you. It might not be monetarily. It might be You say, God, I want my will to look like your will. Go read that passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, and say, Lord, conform my life to this. This is who I want to be. This is what Jesus says to a church who is making this their goal in life. He says, a church that's composed of servants and evangelists. Jesus comes and he says, I see you, I love you. I'm going to reward and bless you as you tell others about me. You might feel weak. You might feel insignificant. I know you look weak from the world's perspective. You have only a little strength. I see that. I know that, but I'm king. And what I say goes, and I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to kick doors down for you to win the lost. I'm going to protect you and humble your enemies before you. I'm going to keep you even when suffering comes. And it might, and it probably will. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to honor you in my Father's house. I love you. I love you, church. I'm with you. I'm for you because your plans are mine. I want to bless you as you live out my will for your life. Now, I don't know where you are, where you're working, what you're doing in your life, but I know this. If you want God's favor, make your life's sole mission about serving Jesus and talking about Jesus wherever he's planted you. Now Don't take this to mean, all right, here we go. Another guy's telling me I need to be a preacher. I need to go join the mission field. That's not what I'm saying. I'm actually telling you don't do that. Don't do that, right? If you're not gifted to be a preacher, then nobody's probably gonna wanna listen, right? Because you're gonna be boring and put everybody to sleep. Some people are gifted for that. Not everybody is. God has you where you are for a purpose. He has gifted you uniquely to serve where you're at. That is your mission field. You don't have to move to Africa. You have people right next door to you where you live who don't know Jesus. There is someone in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood who the Lord says, I love this person and they don't know about me and I put you where you are and with your abilities. You're, you're there. I want you to share with them about me. I'm not going to send him to Levi because he would screw it up, right? He's a little too in your face for this person. He's, he's, he's an acquired taste, and they're never going to acquire that taste, okay? <laughs> but you, you, you I, the way you talk about Jesus, the way I've worked in your life, man, you've got a story to tell. Tell them, tell them about me the way I've equipped you to speak about me. Right? You have a mission. And God says, if you realize that, if you seize that door I'm kicking down, man, nothing's gonna get in your way. What? Run through that and experience the joy of being useful in my kingdom. There is no greater joy than being used by God. Everybody, every one of us has this desire in us. We wanna be useful, we wanna have a purpose, we wanna make a difference. The way you do that, is by aligning yourself in the will of God and then having just outrageous success because God is with you and he is for you in achieving the plans that he has for you. If God is on your side, who can be against you, right? The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because Jesus is running point and he's kicking that sucker down. There's nothing that gets in front of Jesus that he can't kick down, that he can't tear down. You want him on your team, and he wants you on his team. So serve Jesus outside of these walls. But that's only one half of the mission. The other half, Jesus says, stay committed to the local church. Serve within these walls, right? We need you. We need you to make this church work. The church is not a wall, it's people, okay? But to do ministry, everybody's got to do their part. So we need you. We need more kids or more kids' teachers in our back. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Go back there on a Sunday. Follow someone around. It might be something that you didn't realize that you're actually really good at. God might be calling you to that. We need more people to bring cafe food, right? We're a little low on fruit some Sundays, I'm told. Sign up. Bring it in. Keep going. Keep serving. We need more people to sign up to bring meals to moms and sick people. We need more small group leaders. That one's actually a bit of a stretch because we have enough small groups right now. But I'm praying that as the Lord sends us more people, we're going to need more small group leaders. See, I'm not ready for that. Get ready. Because in a year from now, when we have 30 more people coming, because God is kicking those doors of mission opportunity down, He's like, I'm going to send those lost people. I'm going to send them to Crossroads because I know when they come, they're going to encounter my love. They're going to hear my truth then we're going to need more small group leaders. We're be tapping you on the shoulder. So start learning. Start growing. Start praying about that. Lord, would you call me here? We need people to help rake leaves in our community. There are things that we're supposed to be doing right now that we don't even know about as a leadership because you haven't told us. Or better yet, because you haven't said, hey, here's this need in this community. I'm going to lead this. I think this is something we should be doing. I'll put it together. Would you help me recruit some more people to be a part of it? We need to be living on mission. Crossroads, I want us to be this church. I think we're, we're heading down this track. I think we're on the right path, okay? I want, I want to be the church that Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I see you. You're not perfect. We're not gonna talk about your issues. I just wanna encourage you because you're trying to live out my mission and I love that. I'm gonna kick doors of opportunity down for you. I'm gonna unleash my favor on you. I'm gonna send people to you. Because you haven't settled for the American dream, right? You care more. Your plans involve more than thinking about career and school and the white picket fence and the house and the renovation. And that stuff can be a part of it. But your dreams, your plans don't stop there with the American dream. You You have grasped on to the heavenly dream. Your citizenship is in heaven. You're living for eternity. You live with my purpose, not yours. Don't settle for your plans for your life. Choose Christ's plans and his mission above your own. Commit to the local church. Look for those open doors to serve. Run through them. And as you do, as you engage in the mission that we talk about, you'll be blessed, you'll be taken care of in ways that you can't even begin to dream for or dream of or ask for, okay? Your worries in life will be taken care of. You'll know rest. You'll know a peace that circumstances can't shake. You'll know joy that's unwavering. You'll be unstoppable because Jesus is fighting for you. You say, okay, I want to let's wrap up with just the history of the church of Philadelphia, all right? What happened to this church? What happened to this church? Well, I was listening to a sermon this week, and Pastor Mark Driscoll, he kind of wrapped it up like this. He said, the letter of Philadelphia was written around 100 A.D., okay? Jesus says, I'm opening a door that no one can shut. You're not powerful. There are false believers, teachers, churches all around you, but you really do love me, and I love you. The believers of Philadelphia, they take this encouragement from Jesus. And do you know how long this church continued Generation after generation after generation. How long did they continue to serve and love Jesus? 1,200 years. Over a millennium. 1,200 years. That's the power of Jesus saying, I see you and I love you. It's so powerful that your great, 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 great grandchildren are still living in this church. So if you showed up at 100 AD and you saw some people, you met the Blackwoods, you met the Hoffmeyers, you met the Stookies, you met the Zumfeldies, 1,200 years later, there are people still at that church who have the same last name. That is so encouraging. This is God's vision for the church. This is his vision, right? That Jesus would love you, that you would give your life to the church, and that Jesus would love your children, and they would give their life to the church. And that 1,200 years later, that our children's 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 children would give their life to the church because Jesus loves them. See, it all starts with men and women saying, Jesus loves me, and this is my church. I'm going to raise my children here to receive the love of Jesus and serve this church, and they will do the same. 1,200 years. Now, if you're good at math, you've probably already determined that 1,200 from 100 gets you to about 1,300. So you say, what happened to the church at Philadelphia? Well... This isn't super politically correct, and I know that, but it's history, so sorry. Islam happened. Muhammad Muhammad came around about 700 A.D. and started waging a war against Christianity. He either killed Christians or forced them to convert. Now, in that fight, which city do you think was the last to fall in modern-day Turkey? Philadelphia. 13- Forty-two Turkish Muslim soldiers showed up to this church. All the other cities had fallen. Many of the churches had given up. Many of the Christians had fled. Many were brutally murdered. A martyr's death. And the last place to fall was the church at Philadelphia. Why? Because they refused to compromise. They refused to deny Jesus. Listen. Jesus writes a letter in 100 AD. Revelation 3 says, I love you because you have not denied me. Hold fast. Keep on. Keep serving my church. Keep living on mission. And 1,200 years later, because they educated and loved their children and their grandchildren and they told them about God and they taught them God's way, 1,200 years later, the only way to destroy the church of God in Philadelphia was to murder all of the believers. That was the only way. Because if they left one alive, the mission of God was going forward. They had to murder all of the believers. You say, what about today? What's at Philadelphia today? Well, Satan's done a pretty terrible thing in Turkey. Operation World says that out of 70 million people in Turkey, it's the least religious or Christian nation almost in the world. Only 3,500 of them are evangelicals. If you're good at math, that's 0.0005% of the population are evangelical Christians. See, what happened? Well... I think there were probably some in the culture who just assumed that, well, someone else will take care of the church. Someone else will keep it biblical. Someone else will pay the bills. Someone else will serve. Someone else will lead the group. Someone else will care for people. Me, I can just be a consumer, not a missionary. I can just show up and take and never give. Never give any time, never give any resources. I can criticize but not help. Jesus is calling us to something more than that. See, Christianity is about Jesus and his people. Jesus is always faithful. The question is, will his people be? Crossroads, we're a part of the church of Napoleon, right? It's not just Crossroads. There are other faithful churches here in this city that love Jesus and are living on mission for Jesus. We are a part of that. Let's continue to be like christians at philadelphia committed to jesus no matter what the cost committed to his church no matter what the cost we only have a little power but jesus sees us and he loves us and as we engage in his mission he will continue to kick down doors of opportunity for us to be on mission he will reward us he will protect us and he will honor us as we seek to honor him Let's be that church. Let's be a how can I help people. See, there's a need. How can I help? How can I help with that? Let's be ready to serve and do when Christ opened doors of opportunity. Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We confess and admit We don't love you enough. Father, we are easily distracted with legitimate concerns and need. Lord, we live in a world that is fallen and broken and sinful. And because of that, we have fallen natures within ourselves that tell us wrong things. And we listen sometimes and don't do what we should do. We live in a fallen and broken world, Lord, where work is hard and cursed. And we work with people that are grumpy and bosses that are greedy. And things are difficult, Lord. Stuff doesn't always make ends meet. Our children are a handful at times. We don't have enough energy. Lord, we have but a little power. And we can get discouraged and caught up in that. Lord, when we're discouraged, speak to us the way you spoke to the church at Philadelphia. Remind us in the times where we feel like no one cares, where we feel like it doesn't matter, that you see us, that you see what we're doing, that you see our heart's desire, and even though it doesn't feel like we're making a difference, remind us that in our weaknesses, you are the most powerful, you are the most strong, and show up in power and strength and kick down those doors that stand in our way so that we might tell others about you, so that we might experience the joy of living on mission, the adventure of going where you send us, wherever that is. We're just making soup at Campbell's, hammering a nail. I don't know, Lord. Wherever you got us, help us see the mission field and release us to speak when words need to be spoken and to love when we just need to love. Guide us, Lord. Give us the ears to hear from your spirit whatever circumstance we're in so that we might live out the will that you have for us. We love you, Lord. Help us love you more and make you known to our community. It's in Jesus' name we pray and for his glory. Amen.